Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower Henning. All right, on today's podcast, we have Katie Welsh again with us from the Women's Center for Advancement, and we are going to talk all about made on netflix and i had to confirm it's not the made it's made m-a-i-d yeah so i first watched this show and was like we have to talk about this in the podcast because i just throughout the whole was it 10 episodes Mm -hmm. was like just flabbergasted and um we also have here today carrie ramsey from our office our marketing specialist so she's watched it good morning and um, Carrie can also kind of chime in too on the non-lawyer mindset of the show because I <laughs> right. think that's really helpful. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. And if you missed our first episode with Katie from the WCA, go back and listen to that. Or maybe it's after this. I don't know. Whenever it's whenever it's posted, go listen to our podcast about the Women's Center for Advancement and all of the awesome things that the WCA does in Omaha. So made... Um, and I think we should say that there's going to be a ton of spoiler um, spoiler alerts about the show. We're going to talk about it and what happens mm-hmm. and all of that. So maybe pause if you haven't seen it, go watch it, and then come back and finish this Very podcast. Very good guidance, yes. yes. All right, so Carrie, I know when you first saw it, you like tell us your thoughts too as yeah. working in a law office but not being a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So... I think the overwhelming feeling that I had watching the show was this can't this can't be really how it is. This can't how frustrating this we we were just talking about the the part where the words come up on the screen the legal 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 legal. I mean that's what legal language feels like sometimes, right? Um but just the the endless loops where um the character Alex goes through this she has to she wants to get this but she can't because she has to do this first and this there everything is linked um to things that make it impossible for her to um progress in in her life but um i think just i think it was a really good exposure to things that people just don't want to talk about and don't know about in our own communities i I um, see the Women's Center for Advancement building, and I think I don't, I don't, I don't even know what they do. And I think it's it's hard to think about what's happening in your own community. And the show does a really good job of not um, glossing over much, but also, as far as I know, <laughs> but but making it um, very accessibly. Um, exposed so that the general population can be aware of something that they don't even know is as happening but also provide a little bit of hope be, just because it, it does um, it ends pretty well it has but, a nice ending but yeah but <laughs> but there's a lot of hard things there's and I think that um, talking about hard things is is kind of what the pandemic has done done for us is that the reality of people's lives isn't so beautiful all the time, and that this show really dives into that. 
And I think when we talk about um, domestic violence situations, the ending isn't always a nice ending. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we step back a little bit and kind of just for those of you who haven't seen Made on Netflix, it follows the story of a woman and it's based on a book, a true story. Uh, I haven't read the book. That doesn't usually happen. I usually read the book and then watch Mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But it follows a woman who is leaving a domestic violence situation and trying to go through the government assistance programs to find housing, to find a job. And it really, it's, I think it's nine or 10 episodes and it shows all of the struggles that she faces trying to get out of this situation and how you know, she ends up going back into the situation and then getting out again and all of the different things about her own family who's sort of there but not really there. They have their own mental health issues. She has a child. And so also all the custody mm-hmm. things that she faces in court. Um, so Katie, you know, with the show, obviously you've seen it and working at the WCA, tell us, like, to Carrie's comment, is it real? Is this what really happens? Yeah, I, I will say um, there's a lot of realness in that series. I think um, I was just commenting before we got started here this morning that I think what I, I appreciate about this series is that it really depicts the process, and it is a process, a long process of leaving. Mm-hmm. I, to my recollection, I don't, I don't know of any series or movies that depict domestic violence that really go into depth about uh, what a journey it is to like leave a, a difficult situation. So I think that's very much on display here. Um, in a way that I haven't seen before. And it also covers that emotional abuse mm-hmm. that I think is so puzzling for the public at large mm-hmm. to kind of understand. Um, many of our clients get asked in, in the different systems that they're a part of, well, why didn't you leave? Mm-hmm. If it was as bad as you're describing, why didn't you leave? And I think particularly with emotional abuse, like, um, so you were never hit, um, you, you never had to go to the hospital. You never called the police. Yeah. So why did you why did you stay for so long? Well, there's mm-hmm. a million reasons why not, and I think you can see that for yourself in this series. Um, that being said, I think it's rare, and maybe that's just the line of work that I'm in. But it's rare that everything gets wrapped up in a nice, pretty bow with with closure in nine episodes. In nine, yes, right, in yeah. nine episodes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I we see a lot of happy stories with our clients, but I would say that they look more like you got a job in the field that you've been training for since you left. Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. However, you, your abuser is hauling you back into court for a modification that's Can really silly. co-parent with this person. Yeah, yeah. and they're, right. they're making your life really difficult or they're not paying child support and you're trying to figure out how to make that happen um, so that you can make ends meet for your child. So um, there's, not usually closure like that. I think our clients get received in the different spaces that they're trying to get help from in different ways, depending on how they present. Um, Am I white? Am I um, a heterosexual female as as is Alex? Or Mm -hmm. am I I trans? Am I um, black or Latina or something um, trying to get, do I speak English? Mm -hmm. Um, I think all of those elements make our survivors that we work with particularly vulnerable and 
it makes it particularly difficult for them to access some of the different services that we see Alex sure, access sure. Um, in her journey. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's definite realness here, but I, I would say some of it is just made more palatable because yeah, it's there's, Netflix. We talked so. about yeah. this. There's a lot of privilege in the show, yes. right? Um, she has a family that, again, despite their mental health issues, she has a family where oftentimes there is no support system. Um, and she is, you know, provided a lawyer at some point. Well, two lawyers, right? And she's provided this lawyer who's a friend um, who's a very expensive lawyer. And she gets that privilege, too. Um, but I think one of the things that there's a lot of criticism about the show that, well, why couldn't they have just wrapped this into two hours, a two-hour movie? Mm-hmm. And I really disagree with that. I think, like you said, Katie, mm-hmm. seeing the the dryness of her sitting in the social services yeah, chair yeah. and them saying, well, you need two pay stubs. And that happens maybe three times throughout the series. And you think, well, why do they need to show this three times? Because that's what happens, right? right. Like she had yep. to go three times yep. and say, I don't have pay stubs. And all she's doing is trying to have a job. So I think that they did it correctly in showing the realness and mm-hmm. the dryness of each mm-hmm. one of those steps. Absolutely. Yeah, the un- the discomfort of, of yes. just waiting. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I think the other thing too that really was interesting is how she always knew exactly how much money she had. And it shows on the screen $5.32. Yeah. And she has to put some gas in to get to her job. Mm-hmm. And um, her transportation issues were really interesting in the show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I hope it was clear to everybody aside from me, just how much she's keeping track of, like in addition to the running tally that she has of her finances in her head, um, she knows right where the shelter is so that she can go whenever she needs it. I think she um, goes and leaves like two times during the series. Um, She goes to court a couple of times. She is taking calls from her employer. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a lot happening all the time and I think that's pretty accurate. You know, the amount of calls and coordinating you have to do um, to get all the things that you need is astounding and it's, sometimes it's crushing, you know? It's just yeah. makes it really hard to be functional every day knowing how much you have to do to get yourself set up apart from your abuser. Right, and also taking care yeah. of a small person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And for most of the show, she is a very str- a very strong person. Yes. She's very determined in, in doing what she needs to do. The, there's a point in the series where she she has sort of a, a mental, um, I don't, I don't know what, what uh, episode, I guess, where yeah. she just, she can't do it anymore. And she just kind of zones out for a little while. But, but um, so I'm glad they covered that too, because it's just the emo for her own mental health. She deals with a lot of um, mental health around her that's not stable. Yes. But her own is so challenged also because of how hard this process is. I just know, you know, there was a point, I think, in the beginning where I was like, oh, this is a little slow. Like, do I want to keep watching this? You know, and then it got to the court part, Mm -hmm. maybe in the second or third episode, where her, were they married? I think they were married. No, Okay. Um, So where her co-parent gets an attorney, Mm -hmm. and she clearly, you know, isn't going to have an attorney in court. And I thought, oh, I know exactly how this is going to go, you know, and he won because he had the attorney in court. And I think that's where, 
you know, Carrie, you talk about how strong she was. Mm -hmm. She went to court like, oh, I can I can do this. This is no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I can talk my way through it. And there was nothing she did wrong. She did everything even better than she could have. You know, she waited to speak. She didn't do all of the things that sometimes mm -hmm. we see pro se mm -hmm. people do um, trying to help themselves. But she still lost. Right. Because he had the lawyer and she didn't. Mm -hmm. And. I think that was really eye-opening for me as a custody attorney is, well, that's exactly what happens and we, we know that. So this series really highlighted that, like how unfair the system is and the judge in, in that case had no idea what to believe and so just decided, oh, okay, well this person with the lawyer is who I'm gonna believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and thanks to the work of organizations like Women's Center for Advancement, um, I think what's important is that we need to break the, because they, in the show, they cover a lot of the familial history of abuse, too, with her father, and um, the enablement of, of um, I forgot her husband's name, uh, not husband, her, what's the, yeah, her, her, ex, yeah, her person, her abuser, her, yeah. her abuser, the abuser's name. Uh, his parents are very enabling of his behavior and his alcoholism. So it just, it, it highlights the importance of the work that the WCA is doing to, to break these patterns for people because it will just continue and yeah. continue and continue. I think the alcoholism too mm -hmm. that's really wrought in the show is also something that hits home with the work that we do here. Mm -hmm. That you know, we'll have a client come to us and say, um, well, there's emotional, physical abuse and alcoholism in, in the relationship and maybe they're married, maybe they're not, but they're gonna, you know, have a custody action. And those are the cases that I know are the hardest to prove when really we have all this evidence, you know, that we wanna show to the judge. We've gone to court with literal audio recordings of, you know, domestic violence situations mm -hmm. where we think, okay, this is gonna be easy, we hit play, and we do that, and the judge hears these audio recordings of severe, inaction, domestic violence things happening, and then you know, judges say, oh, well, they're not a bad parent, though, so we're gonna do 50-50 custody. Mm -hmm. And it's just yeah. heart-wrenching. Yeah. And then alcoholism, you know, one of those, one of those things that is something that judges think, okay, well, but they haven't gotten charged with a crime. So maybe, you know, what's wrong with some mm -hmm. beers in the basement mm -hmm. at home? And we often will tell our clients, document as much as you can, like take a picture of the trash can every night and there's 10 beers in there every night. And it's um, it becomes this really difficult thing when we go to court. Absolutely, I, I think you have to show proximity, like, well, did, how long ago did that happen, actually? Like, maybe it's not that bad. And, um, you know, you hear judges or opposing counsel say, well, it's just the two parties, it's the parents. It it's, has nothing to do with the kids, so um, that shouldn't mm -hmm. impact custody, yeah. what we decide with custody. And I think anybody, have, any of us working in this field know that that's not the case. So you have to think of, the smallest, what seems to be the smallest detail um, with regard to the court, but it's huge in the lives of our clients. So where the custody exchanges happen, are they at the abuser's house mm -hmm. or where the abuser's residing with family around who heckle? 
our client or can we make it at a police station where there's um, surveillance uh, I just I think there's so many things that you think of to help your clients stay safe but that comes with experience and knowledge and the court is just not going to offer that right if you yeah. don't if you don't have the wherewithal to bring it up right um, so throughout the show part of what I think what a lot of discussion came out of it is um, people asked the question, Did he was he really abusive because he didn't hit her? Or he, yeah. um, he you know, he's, he was a nice guy for a good part of the time and he, and he seemed to love his daughter. Was he really abusive? So in your work, how hard is it to approve or to, to prove abuse? Well, I think particularly the kind of abuse they portray, I, I think you have mm-hmm. to get really creative. Um, I think you hear him say things, and maybe so many of us are kind of used to to hearing this, I don't know, um, to where it doesn't trigger alarm bells in your head, but when he tells her, um, you know, you're, you have nothing, like mm-hmm. you're, you're a maid, you have no training, um, how do you think you're gonna, how do you think the court is gonna see that mm-hmm. in terms of awarding custody of our daughter? Like your, your mom's a screw up, um, your dad is nowhere, um, how do you expect the court to view that? Like that's all abusive. Right. Um, right. It's it's power and control classic. Uh, how do you characterize that to make the court see it? You can't. Um, yeah. So you you have to use um, how how the trash can looks. You have to take pictures of. I think he he does um, hit a wall. Yeah. I think yes. there's like a big yep. hole in one yep. of the walls in there. Yep. Judges don't care about holes in the wall either, in my experience. Not particularly. Um, <laughs> it depends, I suppose, when it happens or how, but yeah. But yeah, literally true. getting a hole into a wall takes a lot of effort. It's and definitely and does. we have submitted pictures of holes in the walls and judges don't care. Gosh. It's fascinating. Wow, you yeah. should bring a piece of drywall and have challenge them to punch a hole yeah. in Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See how hard this is. So I, I think it is. I, I mean, I think in the previous episode we talked about, you know, the definitions of domestic violence, and mm. I think the moral of the story is that the court has such a a narrow sphere within which you can work to kind mm-hmm. of talk about domestic violence and how it impacts the particular action um, for which you're appearing in front of the court. Um, so you have to be able to have these larger conversations with your client. Like, if this doesn't work, we have to safety plan um, yes. for what will happen next, because it may not. Um, protection orders are never slam dunks. Um, what we're asking for in court is just a request regarding custody, and the court can either approve it or mm-hmm. not, and we're gonna give our best go at this, but um, we have to prepare for everything, so. And I think yeah. when when anyone files for a protection order, it's obviously very serious, right? People aren't just wanting protection orders because it's a fun thing to have. So going you know, to the courthouse, filling out the paperwork, swearing and notarizing your signature, and then waiting any agonizing amount of time, what, whether it's hours or a day or two, for a judge to decide whether they're gonna grant it or set it for a hearing, and then if you have a hearing on it and it's denied, how awful is the domestic violence situation going to be now? Right, right. Absolutely, I, protection orders are a clear sign to your abuser that I am leaving, I am done with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know, if, if, if you're in the field, you know that the 
any kind of concrete signal that you make that you're no longer in the abuser's control is when your safety risk goes way high. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the danger of death even is um, imminent in Mm -hmm. those kind of situations. So that's, we're constantly safety planning, rewriting the safety plan um, because we have to plan for those instances when you know the court doesn't see it the, the same way as you do. Right. Um, what shelter and shelters are always full, but like mm-hmm. what shelters are in the area that we can get you to? Um, where can we put you up for a night? Do you have a friend? Do you have family? And you know, Alex, it's hard to call her privileged. Mm-hmm. Totally, you know, I, sure. I think she has some real um, vulnerabilities in her life. But the fact that she has family—I mean, they may be unstable, but she has family to fall back on is a huge piece of why she ends up succeeding and getting Mm -hmm. to college like she originally planned. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of our clients don't have that because they've relocated. Maybe they're not even in the same country as their family. Um, They just don't have support systems. That's all part of abuse too, is isolating the victim from um, anybody who could help them leave a situation like that. Mm. Oh yeah. I think in the show, too, we would be remiss not to talk about her friend that she meets at the shelter and that little side story that happens mm-hmm. in the series. Mm-hmm. And she meets this woman who becomes like her mentor and like her best friend basically at the shelter. And she has a child as well. And at some point, Alex leaves the shelter and I, I don't recall, she goes back to her. Is that when she goes back, maybe? And then she comes back to the shelter asking where her friend is. And the director of the shelter says, you know, she left. Um, and then she sees her on the street. And she pretends that she doesn't even know her. Yeah. And they had such a connection at the shelter. And it's towards the end of the series. And so you're left wondering what's happening with her. Yeah. And we she, all know, yeah. Yeah. right? She's that back with her Just abuser. like the, the way they portrayed her character as being so different from how she was in the shelter and she was bubbly and she was you know had excitement in her life mm-hmm. of what her future looks like and but she you know notably speaks of a son who's not with her um you know that that's the most infuriating question for me is not only why did you not leave sooner but why do you go back and um i would love more follow-up on that character just um just because but she could have gone back for a multitude of reasons. Um, if if you're an animal lover, and we talked about that in the first episode too, I mean, so many survivors go back because they're worried about their pets, and mm. abusers do use pets as a means of control as well. So, um, you know, finances are, it's really hard to make it on your own. Um, she stayed employed at that terrible agency for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, finances can be more stable back with your abuser, your your child. Um, we've seen lots of clients feel like I'm I'm too worried to leave my child with him for half the time, so I'm just gonna go back so I can keep an eye on things and I'll leave when the child is older and moved out of the house and yeah. I'll just put up with this until then. So um, I think that particular client who we only see a few in a few episodes or particular client survivor (laughs) yeah um her story is you know very real it takes probably an average of six or seven times for a survivor to leave yeah um for the last time and i wonder if she's a character in the book too that maybe have you read the book katie i've read half i would say half the book and i don't recall 
I don't recall a character like that. Um, it's a lot more about um, her financially trying to make ends meet sure. through all mm-hmm. these hurdles. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I thought it was a good choice. I just I'm interested to know what yeah. happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to her. So what do tell us some of the success stories? Like, what does a success story look like in for the WCA? Success is really all about independence um, mm-hmm. from from this life of violence or from from your abuser. Um, success is empowerment, and um, it can look like standing up for yourself in court and testifying. Um, those are huge moments for yeah. me. I mean, protection order proceedings are extremely difficult and emotional. It's often the first time a survivor is seeing their abuser after a really um, violent exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that survivor answering questions in court in front of their abuser and looking him right in the eye or, or her um, is huge. Um, that's a huge show of I'm not putting up with this anymore. Um, but it can all, it can be all the way, um, down the line. Um, I just heard from a, a client who I helped with divorce and custody, um, I, I want to say two years ago, um, and she nominated the WCA for an award for all the work that they do, but she particularly reached out to me and said, um, I'm, you know, things are hard, but it's not nearly as hard as what it could have been had I still been in this relationship and I just really appreciate that you believed me. Oh, wow. So we don't often, I mean, if if they're doing well, you know, hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, we're not hearing from them usually if they're doing well, but those times that you do, it's it's just things that would look little to somebody who didn't know all that it took to get um, to this point, but I, I know, and just that the fact that somebody believed her and walked alongside her through a really tough time in her life is um that's what success looks like so that's got to be so so amazing to witness especially when you really know you know you've heard the story from her directly and you know as lawyers we get I think pretty either numb to it or we can internalize it so much too that it we can really feel it I think um, and I think that this type of work can be really difficult for attorneys to like continue in the work and advocates to do it because it can be so mm, sure. even traumatic what, yeah. what's it called the secondary vicarious trauma yeah. or secondary trauma yeah 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 well, we are so grateful for the WCA, too, in our community um, and and for you being on our podcast, because I literally, Carrie and I talked about the show, and we were like, we've got to talk about yes. this, and having you here is pretty great. Yeah. So um, remind us again, to how people can help the WCA, and we'll put links to this in our show notes. Yeah, I really appreciate being able to talk about this topic and especially, you know, that we have this series, this amazing series to kind of ground our discussion has been really fun. But the ways to help the WCA are many. Um, You can go to our website. Um, We have a donate button at the top of the page. I think it's pretty easy to find. So that's a really quick, simple way um, to make a difference. It doesn't actually take much um, in the terms of in terms of an amount of money to make a difference in somebody's life, um, 
We also accept donations of items. Um, right now, um, it is January, it's frigidly cold, and we cannot keep uh, coats, hats, mittens, scarves in our, um, in our building for very long because we're just handing them out to our clients um, left and right. So if you have any of those that you don't use anymore or your family members have grown out of, we'll, we will take them. We also, when clients come into our building in crisis, they often have very little money or very little of their personal effects. So if you are able to donate personal hygiene items, um, toothpaste, toothbrush, tampons, um, shampoo, conditioner, diapers, um, all of those items are things that we absolutely appreciate in terms of donations. Um, and if you're if you're an attorney, I would say um, we're always willing to put you to work. <laughs> we have um, we offer walk-in legal consultations on a monthly basis, um, and we use law students to help us with that event. Um, we offer what we call workshops, but they're kind of like legal clinics twice a month. Um, where we help people, uh, survivors, fill out self-help forms. And then if you would just want to take a case pro bono, mm -hmm. um, that's the biggest ask of them all. But we really appreciate We have so many more survivors who need uh, civil legal help than we have attorneys to provide it. So if, if that's something that would interest you, please contact me directly. <laughs> yeah, great. And, and at the very least, if you haven't watched the show, watch Made on Netflix. Uh, just for anything to increase your awareness. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Ref Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.